Over the last four years, we have done our fair share of gossiping about Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield here on the podcast. We are no strangers to the fictional world of Sweet Valley, California in all of its 80s and 90s weirdness. On episode 214, we go back to that world, but we find it a little spicier. In 1999, the team behind Sweet Valley launched a spin-off series called SVH Senior Year with a book called Can't Stay Away. And today, my guest and I really can't stay away from this grittier version of Jess and Liz. In the Senior Year series, the residents of Sweet Valley are navigating life after a massive earthquake has forced many of them out of their homes and all of them to share a school building with the students from El Caro High. The books also include diary entries from the points of view of many of the characters, offering readers more insight into what's really going on with the residents of Sweet Valley and now El Caro. As you can imagine, if you are even a little bit familiar with this universe, lots of drama ensues. Today, Can't Stay Away inspires conversations with my guest about how this tougher version of Sweet Valley compares to the main series, the ways in which El Caro students are otherized, bad boy stereotypes, slut shaming, fat phobia, the enemies to lovers tropes, and the twins' very questionable senior year resolutions. We also consider the book's cringy but authentic voice and the more nuanced depictions of Jessica and Elizabeth, at least as compared to earlier Sweet Valley titles. My guest this week is the author of a 2022 book that I absolutely loved. It's Alyssa Sussman, who wrote Funny You Should Ask. Alyssa is the author of Contemporary and Fantastical Stories for Teens and Adults. Funny You Should Ask was her debut adult novel, but you could also find her YA novels on the shelves. The most recent of those was published in September of 2021 and is entitled Drawn That Way. In a previous life, Alyssa managed animators and organized spreadsheets at some of the best animation studios in the world, including Nickelodeon, Disney, DreamWorks, and Sony Imageworks. You can see her name in the credits of The Crudes, Hotel Transylvania, The Princess and the Frog, and Tangled. Follow Alyssa on Instagram at Alyssa underscore Sussman and on Twitter at Alyssa Sussman. Thanks for joining me, Alyssa. Thank you also to all of the SSR Patreon supporters tuning into this episode. SSR is an independent podcast and is powered almost entirely by fans and listeners. While podcasting is not technically my full-time job, the show has grown enough that it requires many hours of my time each week to keep it going, so Patreon support is absolutely invaluable. Patrons can contribute as little as $1 each month and get access to lots of great perks in return. We have an SSR Discord channel, the SWR Book Club, bonus episodes, reading recap videos, behind-the-scenes info, and more. This month, the SWR Book Club, that stands for Shit We Read, is reading Admissions by Kendra James, and you can still totally join us. Learn more and support the work I do on the show at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. If you're looking for other ways to show your support for the podcast, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, share it with a friend, or post about it on social media. SSR is at SSRpod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Episode 214 is brought to you by Kensington's newest title, A Ghost in Shining Armor, which is perfect for all of the fans of spooky seasonal reading out there. 
Author Therese Bahari is a South African romance author of several acclaimed novels, including And They Lived Happily Ever After and the One Day to Forever series. She takes pride in writing diverse characters and settings, and her books are often recommended for their heart and banter. A Ghost in Shining Armor is no exception, and it also features the kind of magic and ghost story vibes that you're probably looking for at this time of year. You can find it wherever books are sold. Find more at kensingtonbooks.com. If you want to bring some ghosty and bookish vibes to your fall wardrobe, check out Inkwell Threads. I am personally a fan of Inkwell's literary tees, totes, and other apparel throughout all four seasons, but they have some super cute stuff that's perfect for all you Halloween enthusiasts, too. Shop the whole collection at www.inkwellthreads.com SSRpod and use code SSRpod at checkout to cash in on a 20% off offer. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkosik freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks for having me. So today, the Wakefield story goes on because... We are discussing the first book in the Sweet Valley High Senior Year series extension. Now, I never read any of the books in this series extension. I don't think that I knew that it existed. I've learned a couple of things about it since I read the book. I need to hear about your experience with Sweet Valley more generally. We have, of course, done a handful of sort of like the standard titles on the show. And I was a Sweet Valley fan as a kid. But this this little senior year situation is all new to me. But I want to hear all about your history with the Wakefields and why you wanted to come back to this little gem for our conversation. Yes. I mean, I feel the Wakefields are, if you are of our age, our generation, that's like just foundational uh, storytelling and and just part of growing up at that time. And I feel like I read a lot of the Sweet Valley, like the classics in middle school. Mm. And then I think I read this one in high school because it did, it did, they pitched it as being a little more mature. It feels more mature. It feels a little like quote unquote more raw because there's all these like journal entries. It's more high drama, I feel like, than usually they have with the more conventional earlier Sweet Valley books. It's definitely trying to be like very cool. Yeah. Way cooler than the previous books were. And the co- yeah. the cover is also like the marketing campaign is extremely different. The marketing campaign. So, okay, I'll make sure that I post pictures of the covers listeners, but I'm assuming we have the same cover. Sorry if there's any noise of me taking my post-it note off my book. But yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this. So I don't know if this is Jessica or Elizabeth. As we know, they look exactly the same. They're both blonde and hot, so it doesn't really matter. 
Well, one uh, of them is one pound heavier than the other. Well, they're both trying to be one pound lighter than the other. That's their New Year's resolution. So that yes. first, we get off to a real running start with that I in mean, the first two pages. Oh, yes. So this wake field that we have on this cover has a shorter haircut. Because mm-hmm. I think, I feel like the long hair was a, was a trademark in the sort of standard issue books. But this Wakefield on the cover has a sassier haircut. She's wearing, I think, like a, looks like a mule sandal style. And she's, she's sitting on what can only be described as like, I feel like these were the kinds of steps that came off like the loading dock at my high school, like behind, like you could go sit by the loading dock by the cafeteria and it's these like metal steps listeners you know exactly what I'm talking about close your eyes picture it it has that Mm -hmm. weird sort of like um like repeating pattern of diagonal lines I don't know what she's doing there she does not look like the social butterfly that we've come to know in the other books I mean even Elizabeth would not be seen alone in this setting yeah so this is a different it's a much different sweet valley than than we're used to I mean it's not even it's not even sweet valley high it's svh you're right that's SVH a very important senior point. senior year. Right. Because it's sassier. Because it yeah. has to be shortened. Yeah. So this is not... I would not have looked at this and been like, this is a Wakefield. No. Yeah. And and I feel like, to give them credit, she does look more like a teenager in this cover than, she, than either of the twins looked in the more traditional ones with like the little, you know, the circle in yeah. the middle. They always looked like they were at least 30. Yeah, that's true. And this book was published in 1999. And this, like you said, she looks like a teenager in 1999. Like this yeah. is a kid that you would have seen around the neighborhood. She steps right out of the Delia's catalog. Oh, yeah. Like this is, this is what that look is. It's the Delia's catalog. I used to covet the Delia's catalog. Oh, and I was sure. never allowed to shop there. But I just like to look at the catalogs. I mean, there are certain like images from Delia's catalog that are like burned into my brain as just like foundational formative fashion memories of well, what this shirt. we were supposed to wear. Yeah. This shirt that she's wearing. Oh, and then the back cover, we get sort of like a, it's sort of a. I think, I think it's, I think they're saying that it's Elizabeth because. Yes, that's true. A new year. I think this is supposed to be Elizabeth. A new year, a new home, a new love. Elizabeth Wakefield, Elizabeth Wakefield's McDermott, Elizabeth McDermott, and then several other variations of Elizabeth's presumed married name uh yeah. should she should she have the opportunity to marry her new love Connor McDermott but I agree with everything that you said sort of characterizing this series more generally it feels like Francine Pascal and her ghostwriters mm-hmm. like watched a lot of 90210 and they were like <laughs> this is the world that we need to break into like this is what kids want now yeah yeah it needs to be grittier it needs right. to be more raw yeah yeah and I think they I mean, just start like the whole thing is like this huge tragedy hits the town, right. this huge earthquake, and they have to combine with the other high school. Like it's Sweet Valley becomes like what is it? it's El Caro, El Caro, yeah. El Caro. <laughs> Which like it's very there's very otherizing calling it El Caro High is like a very interesting choice versus Sweet Valley. You're like, guys, what's happening here? Yeah. I, I also just have a lot of questions about, like, so apparently, I didn't read the last book in, in the Sweet Valley series, but as I understand it, there was an earthquake in the last book or in the penultimate book, like there was this big earthquake that happened. And so now in SVH senior year, we are picking up the pieces of that. And so as you said, Alyssa, like, 
El Caro High School, I love what you said about it. Like, it's immediately otherized with the name of it. Like, we have Sweet Valley High School. Yeah. Which is a bunch of, like, blonde, wealthy kids. And then El Caro High School, which just sounds like it's full of people that do not look like the girls and boys that we've come to know at Sweet Valley High. And we have talked extensively on previous Sweet Valley episodes of the show about the whitewashing of the Sweet Valley universe and just how white it is. And it's almost like with Can't Stay Away and with the introduction of these El Caro students, the team behind these books was like, okay, like, let's mix it up a little bit. But they don't actually. Like, it's still, a, it seems to me to be a bunch of white kids coming in from El Caro High School, but it's like, we'll make it a little edgier by, like, not having, I don't know, the the neighboring high school we called, like, Sunshine Valley, because that's what I would assume. <laughs> yeah, and they have, like, their, their sort of diverse call out to diversity is they just have characters with diverse last names yes but like literally nothing indicates anything about their culture or community or whatever it's just like oh this person has like a quote-unquote ethnic last name so they're adding color to the school and and you're just like guys you need a little bit more than that yeah, well, and they also have diversity. I guess you could, if you're really being generous, you could call it like diversity of thought to the extent that like not everybody is coming in with this sunshiny attitude about being a teenager. Right. We have Doc Martens. We have like jeans with holes in them. We have sort of like the popular bad boy, sort of Ryan Atwood type. Like there's just sort of a difference, I feel like, in the overall vibe of these students but that doesn't mean that we're getting anywhere near close to like the job done as far as diversity goes yeah no not even not even close and and there's still like a whole glorification of whiteness within yeah within the book in general within the whole series and and the obsession with the way the twins look and how blonde they are and blue-eyed and pale and all like and thin and all that stuff and you know even the even the characters comment on it and they're like trying to be edgy about it like he calls her barbie one i think mm-hmm. connor our, our new bad boy love interest but it's like it's not really an insult you know it's like he's not yeah it's <laughs> right is like that is that the best you can do bad boy like right yeah really what you're gonna call her come on yeah i love i love the rereading it i was like i was like oh god he's so basic you know he's just like this very very basic character who is like raging against nothing essentially just what he perceives as like being boring or being it's it's really it it feels but the thing I think that's so interesting about it is that it's it is a pretty good representation of how you feel as a high schooler Mm -hmm. like I think the voice is actually pretty accurate with that sort of like it's very self-centered it's very but also like thinking that they're saying these things that are very profound yes like I'm sure I could open my journal from this time and a lot of it would be the exact same thing I think that that's a good point I mean I don't necessarily like everything that these characters have to say I don't necessarily appreciate a lot of their thoughts yeah but I don't I think you're you're right in that if I were to transport myself back to when I was in high school I'm sure there are a lot of things that I said and a lot of things that I thought that I would judge now not only as an adult but as an adult living in 2022 who's like learned some things along the way I have to ask like when you think back on 
on reading these books for the first time, both these these like, you know, edgy SVH books and the original Sweet Valley books, is there one of the twins that you remember relating to more or one that you remember rooting for more? I mean, I was always an Elizabeth, like always. I think I think anyone who's reading the books is like you're gonna connect with Elizabeth, but kind of secretly want to be Jessica. Like you kind of want you want to be both. Like that's that's the that's right the the beauty of having twins as protagonists. It's like they get to fulfill multiple needs for readers, and and I think we all are sort of handheld to be like Elizabeth is the good twin, Jessica's the bad twin. You know, don't be like Jessica, be like Elizabeth, unless you need like a little bit of Jessica in your day, but like not too much, just just a little bit. You know, it's so interesting when I started the podcast and we started to do Sweet Valley episodes, that was kind of my like working thesis. I was like, everybody who comes on the show is going to say that they weren't Elizabeth and that they thought that Elizabeth was the better twin because that's how I was. Like I was such an Elizabeth and I don't even know that I can say that I aspired to be Jessica because I was so... The, the notion of being Jessica sort of scared me, I think, because mm-hmm. she was confident in ways that like I just was not prepared to be confident and still I'm probably not to be in a lot of ways. But we've had a lot of Jessicas on the show and we've had, yeah. I would say it's, we've maybe even skewed toward like more Jessicas, which did surprise me because again, my working thesis was like, we're going to have authors, we're going to have all these bookish folks come on and everybody's going to categorize themselves as as Elizabeth's. Mm-hmm. And it has not been that way. And I think what I found, not so much in this book, because I feel like this book, as wacky as it was, was a little bit more balanced between the twins. The books from the original series, like Elizabeth does not age well at all. Like in a lot of ways, as an adult, I root more for Jessica because I feel like Elizabeth's like the the things that I struggle with with Elizabeth now are like sort of more insidious because they're buried deeper under this shine of being like good student and like right better behaved than her sister but there's still so much going on like there's so much happening with her so I I preferred her in this series just because again I felt like I felt like the the girls were a little bit less binary in this version of Sweet Valley like in most of the Sweet Valley books it's like Jessica is the wild one and Elizabeth is the smart one but don't worry they're both hot and this book it's like they're both hot but they're also like both a little bit more complicated than that yeah, no, they're definitely playing with the expectations of who Elizabeth is and who Jessica is in this, like, in this new series and trying to muddy the waters a little bit, which I thought was smart. You know, I think it's a good idea with characters like this. And it's really interesting. Like, I wonder if the Jessica thing is, like, you know how the way that, like, obviously Harry Potter, super, super problematic, but the way that people, like, really own being a Slytherin, mm. I feel like that's kind of, like, a Jessica thing, too. It's, like... Maybe at that age, you weren't going to be like a full-throated, like, I'm a Jessica. But like, as an adult, you're like, you can see and appreciate that like, what we were told is bad and evil is more nuanced and actually more interesting. Mm. And you're happier to claim that. Yeah. Looking back now, like, I wish that I had more Jessica-like qualities when I was growing up because I think that while pretty much all of the characters in this world are parodies of themselves and like... Jessica does go too far a lot of the time. I think that I could have benefited from, again, some of that confidence. Yeah. And she really, like, does know how to stand in her power, for better or worse. And we see yeah. that on display in Can't Stay Away as well. Yeah. I mean, she's she is really interesting in Can't Stay Away because in a lot of ways she is going against sort of the 
the way that Sweet Valley in the past has defined femininity and like gender roles. Cause like she is fully going after this guy that she thinks is cute. It's like very, you know, and she's just like, I think he's hot. I'm going to introduce myself. I'm giving him my number. Amazing. That's like so great and so awesome. And yet you sort of feel like in the older Sweet Valley books, there would have been some sort of comment about like girls shouldn't ask out boys. Mm. Like that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting to sort of see that. And, you know, of course she does still get punished for it, but I think they are trying to be a little more of the time. It like feels, you know, like I feel like a lot of the Sweet Valley stuff felt like it was a relic of like 1960s ideas of femininity. And this really feels like it's trying to speak to what teenagers were going through at that point a little bit more. Yeah, it does feel like it's almost bridging the gap between like a Saved by the Bell and an o- and the OC. Like it's it's yeah. sort of, it's almost at that point. And I think the OC started in 2002, 2003. And so mm-hmm. it's just a few years to go between when this book was published and when that show came out. Yeah, It does feel like it's verging on that, like that grit, um, that nuance, you know, obviously like the core characters in the OC, for example, are still like archetypes and they're a little bit parodies of themselves, but they're playing in different kinds of territory and having different kinds of conversations. And it's, you know, that edge at least gives them opportunities to explore like pseudo adult situations or quasi adult situations, at least. Yeah. I mean, I think the one of the things I remember very specifically about reading these books at that age is I was like, these are way sexier than any other Sweet Valley books because they don't really have like they have relationships and stuff, but they you don't really get the I at least I don't remember like knowing how the girls felt about the guys other than like that they were dating, you know, like there was no sense of like their physical desires, their their desire in general and I feel like this book this series in particular was like especially with Elizabeth it was like oh this is the first time we're seeing them as like horny teenagers yeah which I really appreciated that's a great point I think we get to see them as horny teenagers I also think like in the other Sweet Valley books a lot of what we see as far as relationships is like it's more about their frustration with relationships it's a lot of this like sort of um, stereotypical, like heteronormative, like female exasperation with men. Through most of the series, Elizabeth is dating Todd and Jessica has a series of, I think, somewhat serious boyfriends, but I feel like they always are in conflict with them somehow. Mm -hmm. And it's always like this eye rolling thing of like, oh, like Todd is being so annoying. I mean, you don't really see a lot of what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship and I wonder if that's because like once they're in a healthy relationship there are things that come with that that maybe the writers like weren't ready to explore but yeah. we actually see like the dynamics of interpersonal relationships more in this book than in a lot of the other titles yeah and they definitely like it it has a lot of like romance yeah stuff to it like just these circumstances that like only kind of exist in romance novels like the end of the book is her is Elizabeth going into the shared bathroom and there's Connor and he's just wearing a towel like hot <laughs> oh my god when did, like that would never happen in the original suite like you don't have shirtless boys that you're not dating like wet and standing in a small room with you like that just does not happen even if you are dating them they probably have a polo shirt on in yeah the shower. Todd was always, I mean I feel like Todd was born with a polo shirt on I mean, yeah I don't I don't think Todd was ever naked no no, he's like, the, he's like a Ken doll. Like that was yeah. sort of, like that was their relationship too, was this 
you know, like it was almost like too mature. Yeah. Where they would be like the problems they would have were like, I want Todd to ask me to the dance, but he is assuming that we're already going to the dance because we're dating, but I just want to be asked. And you're like, exactly. Nobody cares. That's not a real problem, guys. If that's the biggest problem you have, either you have the most boring relationship or you're ignoring something much bigger. Right. Well, and they have some bigger problems in this book, which I noted early on, like while there were some mentions early on about like, you know, I think I believe the Wakefields did use the word homeless at least once or twice to describe their situation, which it feels really tacky and problematic given the fact that they're staying with the Fowlers in their mansion. Like, that's not a word that we're going to throw around, but nope. they are at least in theory dealing with like big picture problems. Uh, mm-hmm. There have been losses in the community. Elizabeth's good friend Olivia died in the earthquake. And it's kind of interesting too to see how they like navigate this new territory early on I noticed pretty explicitly that Jessica talks about how she's like I'm tired of talking about the earthquake like Elizabeth keeps trying to drag me into her group therapy vibes and like I'm not interested Mm -hmm. in that and Elizabeth is clearly like processing the tragedy in a different way and I thought that that was kind of cool too to see so obviously on the page that these two characters are coping with the same event in very different ways and it didn't feel to me as though the writers were making any sort of a judgment call about which of those ways was more effective or trying to make a recommendation. Like I, it felt to me like they were presenting to readers, like these are two things that people might do to process a trauma. And like one might work for somebody, this other one might work for, for somebody else. I feel like in another version of this book, it would have been very easy to be like, Jessica is handling her feelings irresponsibly by not working through them. And Elizabeth is so much more... Like she's so she's so grounded and that means that she's going to like be in a better place. And it's it I didn't walk away from this book feeling at all like one of them was doing a quote better job of handling tragedy than the other. Yeah, I mean the book is very sympathetic to both of them throughout like what they're doing. You know, it's definitely Jessica does some sort of questionable things, but it's not they don't like the book does not really judge her on it, which I think is interesting. I feel like and it it's sort of it's very much of its time where it's like it is very slut shamey and and very like trying to sort of have like good girl bad girl things and like pitting girls against each other but at the same time it's kind of showing all of the angles of the story and by doing that you have more empathy for the two girls in this love triangle and you also hate the guy like the guy sucks he sucks so much and i think you're supposed to think he sucks which is unusual. Yeah, there aren't really any likable men or boy characters in this book at all. No. Well, the, I feel like the one the one that we have is Ken. Yeah, oh yeah. Ken Matthews, he has like this, and he just has a brief moment. They have like a little like journal entry or something where he's like, I thought that was like probably the most sort of modern progressive thing in the book because he's basically like, I am grieving and these assholes are asking me when I'm going to start playing football again. Yeah. My girlfriend just died. Yeah, his girlfriend was Olivia. And yeah, so, his girlfriend was Olivia. And I yeah. think, and I know the rest of the series, like, he gets a lot more page time. And every, like, the whole series is all about everyone switching partners and, like, everyone dating each other. It's, like, it's crazy. But I thought that was really, like, he was sort of the one char- the one guy character that shows up in this book extremely briefly. And you're like, poor, poor Ken. Poor Ken's going through it. But the rest of them, you're like, ugh, Will sucks. Will sucks so much. 
Will is yeah. the the guy that Jessica thinks is really cute and is like hooking up with, but he has a girlfriend and his internal justifications are terrible. Yeah, let's talk about each of the twins storylines because I feel like they're they really like don't cross paths a lot in this book. A lot of times in the in the original series, like they're doing things together and in this book, like they are kind of living their own lives. So should we start with Jessica or Elizabeth first? Uh, let's start with Jessica. Okay, so to get us started with Jessica, I do want to read a part of her um, kickoff diary entry, just a few highlighted moments. So this book starts with Jessica Wakefield senior year resolutions and of course Elizabeth Wakefield's senior year resolutions. Now here are Jessica's. I will clean my room once a week. Okay, let's be realistic. Every other week. I will read that book Elizabeth bought me six months ago. Twin rivalry, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if for no other reason than I'm sick of her asking whether I've, quote, gotten to it. I won't eat at McDonald's or Taco Bell unless Lila offers to pay, in which case it doesn't really count. Okay. Um, I will do my homework unless there's something better to do. I will continue to weigh one pound less than Elizabeth. Gross. I will dot, dot, dot. Wait a second. Why am I bothering with this list? It's not like I'm actually going to do any of these things. So what's the point? So that's how we meet Jessica in senior year. Yes. Um, she is, of course, like excited about cheerleading. We don't know for sure that she's going to be captain, but it's pretty clear because she's running practices that she is going to be the captain or that's what the coach is sort of setting her up for. She is Lila's friend. She and Lila get to live together. But Jessica's like real curveball in this book is Will. Um, who you mentioned before, Alyssa. And Alyssa is one of the new boys from El Caro High School, and they meet in history class. And we get to meet him um, and his girlfriend, Melissa, a little bit sort of prior to actually meeting him live with Jessica. And I thought Will Will was sort of interesting in, in a lot of ways, but I always am, like, baffled by this. And it's a, it's a thing that I think we see, we see frequently, especially, like, in the 90s and the aughts, maybe even before, but, like, Will and Melissa, I guess, have been dating since they were in eighth grade. And Will is like, people are always telling me, like, I shouldn't just settle down. And like, I like, who says that? I have never heard anybody in real life suggest to a teenager, like, you know what? You should probably date around more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, well, I think it's like this thing is like in any books that like have relationships or whatever, everybody is way more invested in, other people's relationships than they are in real life. Mm -hmm. Like nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> cares what's happening in your relationship. But like there will be, it's like, it's like a topic of debate among friends. Like, and you're like, no one, no one, none of my friends are talking about my relationship. You know, like it feels, it's very plotty. It's very like serving, serving the story. But it's all, yeah, it's always funny when that happens where I'm just like, literally, I've never had conversations like this with my friends where they're like asking me about my relationship or like giving me advice or like even just talking about like, oh, your boyfriend's so hot or, you know, right? like you don't say that. That's weird. It's creepy. No, I don't think we even had those conversations in high school, which is like the peak of gossip. Yeah. So we have Jessica meeting Will and she's of course immediately into him, but then she also encounters Melissa at cheerleading practice because big surprise. Melissa is kind of her number one competition in the cheerleading realm because she was number one cheerleader at Al Caro High School. And somehow, even though Jessica is like at the hub of all Sweet Valley information, she doesn't know that Will and Melissa are together. Now, this feels to me like something that would 
have hit her radar in real life. Again, yeah. a plot device that works well in the context of the book. But like, it, it just feels to me that this is not something that would have escaped her in real life. No, she would have done like the things that she cared about were like cheerleading and popularity. So she would have done her research beforehand and she would have done her research into like what cute boys are available. And like, like she would have had like a whole plan mm-hmm. for all of that. Her and Lila would have like, you know, that's what they would have like, instead of doing homework, they would have been like figuring out like who's who, what do we need to know? And especially she would have wanted to know who her biggest competition was for cheerleading captain. Right. So it is a little like, like out of character that she doesn't have that information and she's flying blind. To your point about instead of doing homework, I did um, in the margin somewhere of this book have in all caps, why does nobody here do homework? Nobody does homework. I mean, we're meant to believe that Elizabeth is this like scholarly queen. I, I don't think she ever actually opens a book. Like occasionally in earlier books in the series, She's been known to just like open a Word document or like a word processing file on her, I'm sure, like giant boxy computer. And she just like stares at it and writes five words and is like, oh, writing. Right. But like we've never actually seen anybody do homework. Well, we did. I mean, this one we see the essay she writes. That's true. You're right. We see the essay that she writes and that Connor writes. But it is, yeah, it is like this. It's a lot of telling, not showing. Like yeah. the, the difference between the twins is a lot of like, they're different because of A, B, yeah. C, and D. And it's like, but they are not that different. They're <laughs> And yet they are the same. same. <laughs> they're pretty much the same. Yeah. So yeah. Jessica meets Will and they start flirting and, you know, she's into him. She doesn't know that he has a girlfriend. Nope. She loves to flirt, which I love for her. I love that about her. She knows that she's cute um, and she like is single. She is excited that there's this fresh crop of new men coming mm-hmm. in after the earthquake. She's seeing that as a definite upside of the tragedy. And she like is like, cool, Will, like I like you. But Will, 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 Will. Oh, fucking Will, dude. This guy, uh, he, I think my favorite thing that Will does, and again, like this is so out of character for Jessica, he takes her on a date 45 minutes away and she's like, this is weird that we're 45 minutes away. But she doesn't actually question him about it. Right. Again, Jessica, I know you're too smart for this. Like, in any other book from the series that we've read for the podcast so far, like, this kind of thing would have absolutely raised a red flag for Jessica. She would have been on the phone with Lila. She and Lila would have been plotting. Like, Elizabeth would have dressed up as Jessica. And, like, they would have done some sort of identity switch that they could spy on Will to find out what was going on. Like, yeah. Jessica is just, she is totally melting for Will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, it's like, it reminds me a lot of like Cher and Clueless, the way that they mm. sort of like meet together. And she's just like, she doesn't care necessarily. She's just like, he's cute and I want him. And that's all. And I think it's more of this issue of like, for her, it's like, I need to prove to myself that I'm cute and desirable and I can get what I want. And I'm going to ignore everything else. But yeah, no, it doesn't like it, it. There's definitely things where you're like, you are smarter than this. Like you are smart. Jessica is smart, you know, and she's crafty. So you're like the the whole sort of like her getting caught so off guard is very uncharacteristic of her. Yeah. 
And I had a lot of empathy for her because at this point, over the last four years, I've sort of rebuilt my relationship with these characters, doing a Sweet Valley High book every couple of months on the podcast. And so I felt as I was reading this book, like it's almost like when you're watching a horror movie and you're like, no, Jessica, like, no, 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 don't do it. Right. And because this book is different than the other Sweet Valley books in that we have access to like diary entries. So we do read from Will's perspective and he is disgusting. I did want to call Mm -hmm. out this one line in particular where he writes in his diary, there's something about her. She seems free, I guess, spontaneous. She's so confident and uncomplicated compared to, well, anyway. And then there's Jessica's body. The way her legs looked in those white shorts, okay, I'll stop. Gross. He's gross. He's so gross. But he's like a teenage boy. Like he is, that is kind of what you are more realistic than like the Todds of the world. That's true. Not great. We don't love him. We're like he's he's scum. He's a scummy, scummy dude who makes a lot of really bad decisions and pits these two poor women against each other. And like even Jessica, I think, it really goes back and forth because there's a moment where she's like she does she's not blaming Melissa at all yes and she's like she feels sympathy for her but then she quickly turns over to being like you know if she's not a good enough girlfriend like why would he come to you know it like switches very very quickly but even that that moment of empathy for her I was like you know thought that was such an interesting thing to have her character do because that's not that's she's not known for caring about that kind of stuff No, and she is legitimately angry with Will for at least a couple of pages. And I was so relieved because once the reveal started to happen and Jessica realized that Will had a girlfriend, not only does he have a girlfriend, but his girlfriend is Melissa, who, of course, Jessica has already established this rivalry with. Like, I was like, oh, no, she is going to just lose it at Melissa and Melissa is going to be a casualty in all of this. And that doesn't happen immediately. Like, I think that there was a lot, a lot of Jessica's anger was sort of channeled in the right direction, which was refreshing. I think in the nineties and the eighties, there was this tendency when something like this would happen, especially in like a high school story for all of the teenage girls anger to be funneled straight at the other teenage girl who they perceive to be their, their romantic competition. And that's just not great. Like, Let's yeah. direct our anger at the person who actually was shady and dishonest, not at the other victim in this situation. So um, I was happy that, like, at least for a minute, Will was the, was the villain. Yeah. I mean, I think by the end of the book, he's still the villain. Yeah. But it's, like, it's one of those things where you – it's, like, the horror movie thing that you were talking about. It's, like, you know what's coming for Jessica. Yeah. And you know that because she was not paying attention and she was not on guard – like Melissa has gotten the drop on her and like they, I think they're being presented as like very similar people, Mm. which is interesting to be like, Jessica's so uncomplicated. It's like, she's, she's incredibly complicated, you know, like so free. (laughs) She's so free. It's like, I guess, you know, well, you don't know her, so she must seem very free to you, but like, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, she definitely like Melissa almost takes on, the role that Jessica would usually take, like being oh, very yeah. uh, like controlling of the situation and, and trying to play people against each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's like, you're supposed to, by the end of the book, feel sympathy for Jessica. Yeah, I think so too. I think Jessica comes out looking pretty good at the end of this one. 
as you said, Melissa sort of steps into Jessica's usual role when she finds out that Jessica is involved. Uh, she's the one who's directing her anger at Jessica, not vice versa. And she decides that she's going to turn all of Jessica's friends against her. She invites them to this like cool, hip El Caro party. And that's sort of how she she's like, I have the social capital with all of these new students at school. So like, follow me. Mm-hmm. Will's bad behavior, it's worth and it's worth noting and very important to note, actually, that Will's bad behavior does not just stop with him cheating on Melissa. When Melissa finds out what's going on and confronts Will about it, he straight up slut shames Jessica to Melissa and lies about her. And he says... The girl's a troublemaker list. Can't you see that? She's been out with practically every guy on the football team. They all had stories to tell about her. She targeted me as her next conquest, and she got pissed when she found out I had a girlfriend. You lying bastard. You lying bastard. You fuckboy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's covering his own ass, and in doing so, he's being completely slut shamey. And again, like, even if some of these things are true, like... Jessica is entitled to have safe consensual sex with the whole football team if she wants to. Yeah. So, like, why is it up to you to use that as? And you were also niche? just saying yeah. you like how free she is. So, right, uh, yes. buddy, yeah, yeah, Come it's on. a bad luck. He it's sucks. Luck. I hate him. Um, and also, he comes on real strong. Yeah. Oh, when, yeah. With when, the making out situation, he's like already going for her zipper. Yeah. And you're like, dude, like, yeah what is what like which is more sexual content than we usually get in a book like this and like so quickly so it yeah it's fascinating that he it's like in introducing all these characters it's like adding this element of adulthood to this world and all these you know you're assuming that will and melissa probably had sex right you know like it seems like they're they're this series is more open to characters having sex and i think some of them do later on and i think there, I think a lot of the stuff with Elizabeth and Connor is about sex later on in the in the series, if I'm remembering correctly. I can see that. I can see them setting Elizabeth up to make like this big decision about whether or not she's going to have sex. Yeah, that feels very on brand. It's the more we talk about this, like, and and the dynamic between like the Sweet Valley kids and the El Caro kids, it feels like the team behind Sweet Valley senior year or SBH senior year it was almost like they were like okay like we've kind of run out of ideas of things that we can do in this like calm safe white world of Sweet Valley and so let's bring in some kids to shake things up and that does work to your point earlier like I wish that at least these characters in the first book and and I don't I'm hopeful that it gets a little bit more complex and nuanced later on but like I wish that if that was the plan we would have seen these characters these new characters be better rounded out from day one because there's definitely potential for that um but it does seem like they're like these new kids like they like to have sex and they go to different kinds of parties and like they have different kinds of relationships like let's see what happens in sweet valley when we throw them all together uh, and, and it does work at least in this book yeah no for sure and they're they're talking about with the like little journal entries and stuff they are trying to address things that are more timely of, like, you know, the, one of the characters has this whole essay about how she's a feminist and, like, you know, <laughs> addressing the whole idea of, like, you know, why is it, like, you know, kind of that that 90s feminism of, like, um, I'm a feminist and I'm wearing, like, all black and I can wear all black and, like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a, 
it's always really funny. Yeah. Tia is like, this is why being a cheerleader is feminist. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm glad that we saw the word feminist in a Sweet Valley book. I don't think that that had ever happened before. Let's switch our attention to Elizabeth. Now, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Wakefield's New Year's resolutions uh, were very concerning to me as an Elizabeth mm-hmm. stan. Mm-hmm. She says, I will not get straight A's this year. That's the first sentence of mm-hmm. this book. It's bad for a person's image. Or at least I won't get all A's second semester. Or if I do, I won't tell anyone about it. I will not give Jessica advice no matter how horrendously wrong she is. Unless, of course, she's going to jump off the roof or go out with a jerk or fail an exam or wear that grotesque dark green nail polish with the matching lipstick. I will not get back together with Todd Wilkins no matter how tempted I am. I'm moving on. I will not hate my job at House of Java or the owner, Mrs. Scott, the cheapest human being in America. I will continue to hide sugar packets just to bug her. I still can't believe she actually counts them. I will continue to be taller than Jessica and still weigh one pound less. I'll dress more sexily if I can do it and still wear sneakers. I mean, I I, I support that. I will reappraise some of my decisions about sex, though I'm probably not going to do it. So to your point, I, I wonder how much this is hinting at the future with Connor. Mm-hmm. I will not give constructive criticism to anyone anymore, no matter how much Enid needs it. I will put the earthquake behind me, but I will never forget it. And most of all, I will always remember Olivia. So there's, I mean, there's some nice moments in there and things that I support. But like the fact that the very first sentence of this book is is talking about how like good grades are bad for her image. I'm a lifelong teacher's pet and I'm just upset about that. Well, I mean, she's not going to follow that. Like, you know that she's, yeah. you know, she's trying. It's like every every time the thing with Elizabeth is that she always like, tries to be who she isn't mm-hmm. and that never works you know yeah. and and this series I think is like a really like she really does try to push against her good girl image and the whole thing about like I'm not getting back together with Todd because I think she's aware of how she's perceived and and how she's seen and and she doesn't like it but she's like also oversimplified all of it right like like you would as a teenager And I do relate to some of it because I remember coming back for senior year of high school and I had, people have heard me talk about this in the podcast before. I went to journalism camp uh, between junior and senior year of high school and the whole experience gave me a lot of confidence. Like I made really good friends and I came back and I was like, maybe I'm pretty. Like it was one of those formative experiences at the time and now it sounds like so silly because it was journalism camp, but I came back for senior year and I was like, I'm ready to take over the school, you know, and I had a different attitude. And so I, I do resonate with a lot of what Elizabeth is saying that uh, the language about weight is very upsetting. And yeah. just to her, like her seeming like craving to be somebody she's not just makes me sad. But again, like just because she, just because it makes me sad doesn't mean that it's not true for a lot of teenagers. And that's like, of course, a bigger problem that we need to continue to address, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, it wouldn't be a Sweet Valley High book if they weren't obsessed with their weight. Yeah, true. You know, I mean, like, that's just, it's so baked into, you know, we all know the the twins are size six, you know, like, we all know that's like, that's the thing you know about them, and that they're so pretty and, and all of that. So, you know, that's so deeply entwined with who they are as like, you know, these aspirational characters in a really messed up way but yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting list of, yeah. of things where you're like oh Elizabeth you I mean you you read it and you're like you are a teenager like you feel like she's like this little lost lamb a little bit and you feel a lot of empathy for like as an older 
now older, I'm like, oh, poor Elizabeth. <laughs> She's just trying to find her way. She's just finding her way. And she, of course, does have a new love interest from El Caro High School, Connor McDermott, mm-hmm. who she meets in her creative writing class. And at first, I was so excited for her that she was getting to take her creative writing class because I, too, would have been so excited to wait, like, four years to finally take this elective. And I would have just, like, that's the kind of thing that I would have been totally jazzed about. And, of course, Connor comes in. And this teacher, like, I cannot believe that their teacher just lets his behavior fly because he openly mocks her and her sort of, like, earnestness about being in creative writing and just makes fun of her. Well, the teacher is, like, just like Connor, yeah. You're like, this is where Connor so gets misogyny. his yeah. bullshit from. And also definitely not that dissimilar to a lot of male writing teachers, you know, True. especially yeah. like teaching teenagers. Yeah, I had one like that. <laughs> yeah. He's a terrible teacher. He's a terrible, yeah. terrible teacher. Unfortunately, I I don't think they I think they present him as someone that Elizabeth really wants to impress and mm. is going to try to impress. Um, and that his his thoughts are valid. But no, he's a total dick. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, you can't like, basically like, don't write girly shit is sort right. of what it boils down to. And, and because that's like, it's it's not serious literature. And it's just like, ugh, right, gross. And that's how Connor feels too. And, but Elizabeth's in, like, Elizabeth wants to then impress him as well. And she's drawn yeah. to him in his like brooding way. The other like really crazy thing that happens is that, Elizabeth, in her role as editor-in-chief of the Oracle, the school newspaper, meets this new girl named Megan Sanborn, and she's a sophomore, and Elizabeth feels a kinship with her because because Megan reminds her a lot of herself when she's a sophomore. She's so excited to be on the paper. She seems, like, really sweet and innocent and, again, earnest. And things are not going that great for Elizabeth at Lila's house because Lila and Elizabeth do not get along. And... Elizabeth mentions this to Megan in the context of like a larger conversation they're having at the newspaper because Lila really wants to have a fashion column in the newspaper. And as somebody who was the editor-in-chief of her high school newspaper and took that job very seriously, I do understand why Elizabeth is so fired up about this potential fashion column. Mm -hmm. But Megan just is like, oh, well, you should just move in with me. Yeah, it's such a Sweet Valley High thing. And at first, Elizabeth is like, yeah, like, I don't think that's such a good idea. But then she has another big fight with Lila. And her mom, like, just calls Megan's mom. And all of a sudden, it's like, yes, like, we've made the plan. The Wakefields have never met the Sanborns. Like, no, this is all new to everybody. And they're just like, sure, you can go live there for senior year. Yeah. And also, you're going to be sharing a bathroom with another senior boy that you've never met. Right. Like, you won't know this person. There's no way. And then, of course, it's Connor. Of course, of it's, course Connor. it's Connor. And, you know, it's just, it's so ridiculous and hilarious. And just like catnip, like it's such fanfic catnip, like just the perfect yeah. sort of like, of course, of course he's going to, like, that's what's going to happen. It just sets it up for so much like fun, sexy stuff. But it is, it's, it's totally ridiculous. It's completely like, what are the parents doing? What are you guys doing? I'm not a parent and I generally like to stay away from mom shaming, but I think we can say pretty confidently that this is like bad parenting. Yeah, it's not it's not the best choice for anybody. But it's like it's also like you sort of see, she's totally miserable. Like Elizabeth is totally miserable living at this house and like kind of not eating enough, you know? Like you you really yeah. you feel for she's not eating enough, she's not sleeping enough, she's really stressed and no one is listening to her. That's I think a thing that is like more of the bad parenting is like she's like trying to be like I'm struggling here and everyone's like it's fine. You'll be all right. And so 
kind of like, okay, well, she's trying to advocate for herself and nobody is listening and this is not great. But also, is the solution just going and living with people you don't know? Don't think mm, so. Probably not. Well, so Will, we've discussed Will's like horrible fuckboy tendencies, but Connor's personality is like not that great either. So like if we take away Will's cheating and the slut shaming and we just kind of look at their personalities like at the baseline, which do you, which, which of these love interests do you find more compelling? Which of them do you find more horrific? Will, Connor, Connor, Will. Well, I remember very specifically when I was reading this as a teenager, I was all about the Elizabeth Connor relationship. Because I, and I think it was like one of the, I was already reading romance novels at the time and I love an enemies to lovers dynamic. So I was, that's like already primed for me. And you also, if you're someone who like relates to Elizabeth and you're like, ooh, he's such a bad boy, blah, blah, blah. And I remember, like, my past memories of it was that he was, like, he was, you know, so sexy and brooding, whatever. And then, like, reading it, and I'm like, he sucks. He's He's such a misogynist. He's such a misogynist. He's so, like, like, I think sometimes with enemies lovers, the guy is written as just, like, an asshole. Yeah. Like, and and I think people forget. It's like, well, he can't just be a dick. Yeah. That they, and because then you don't respect the female character for falling for him eventually or just sort of saying like, well, he was a dick because he's awkward. It's like, that's not an excuse and not a great thing to be teaching people that like, right. it's it's okay that he acts like this if he's being, he's just, you know, he's just awkward. Yeah. I mean, he had, so he, like reading it again, I was like, this is not, they're not writing like a good, like conflict between them necessarily. One that I'm like, yes, please get over your, issues and get together I'm like no you both this is not a good relationship this is not good for anybody yeah I mean I totally would have had a crush on Connor as a high schooler myself when I was reading this and now he just reminds me of so many guys from my MFA program and I'm like no yeah uh no he is that guy in your MFA program yeah he's he's the composite of all of them Mm -hmm. um and he's wearing all black and he is just constantly smoking cigarettes and like talking about how he would never read Jane Austen and you know all that yeah just really endearing stuff on the whole Alyssa coming back to this book yes can't stay away book one in the SVH senior year series do you think the book has held up for you if not how specifically has it disappointed you or not held up um I mean I think I think it really scratched an itch when I was a teenager. Yeah. It was great. And now having read better versions of like a love to hate dynamic and romances and things like that, I'm like, you know, it is it is what it is. It's serviceable, it's, you know, it's fine. It's a fast read. I mean, it's like a it's a short book. This book also yeah. it sold for 99 cents. You could buy this for 99 cents. And it's like 180 pages or something. So it's 160 pages. It's super short, very, very fast. And and I think like it, it is what it's advertised. There's not enough to really be disappointed by it, you know? <laughs> the expectations are not that high. But yeah, a lot of stuff did not age well at all. I mean, a lot of the stuff with the with Sweet Valley High just doesn't age because we don't we don't aspire to that anymore. You know, this was this was the era of wanting to look a certain way where you'd read books and they would describe the clothing in detail. And like, that would be something that was really important. It was very like, put yourself in these, in the shoes of these characters. Imagine that you are them with pretty clothes 
in a pretty little town with cute boys everywhere. And everyone is like, the conflict is minimal and everything's fine. It's like reading, reading something like this and expecting it to be diverse or, you know, thoughtful, like in that stuff. It's like, it's, it stumbles across it occasionally, yeah. but that's, it's not the purpose of it. So it's hard to be disappointed with that. <laughs> Fair. Well, I'm glad that I have finally uh, read an installment in this senior year series. Maybe we'll do another one of these books for the show. I am curious about what happens next. I feel like things are going to continue to get juicy and interesting. Oh yeah. But other than Can't Stay Away, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? Maybe something that they might have higher expectations of going in. Well, I haven't started it yet, but I'm really, really excited for Kate Claiborne's new book, which is called Georgie All Along. Um, She's like an automatic buy for me. I think she's just one of the best romance writers out there. And I'm like so so excited to read her new book so that's that's what I've read I mean I love Katie Catugno's stuff I love Julianne Long's books Alicia Ray like yeah there's so much good stuff um, out there and coming out and and I feel like next spring 2023 is going to be a really good year for romance there's going to be some really great stuff coming out well speaking of great stuff uh, I have to tell you, Alyssa, that your book, Funny You Should Ask, was one of my favorite books of the year. Oh, I you. loved it. As soon as I heard about it, I like put it on my wish list. And I went to my local indie and it was, I think I had gotten a gift card and it was like, this is what I need to buy. Yay. And I really loved it. I love the book. Also, I love the cover and I'm so happy that I have it on my shelf just aesthetically. But the book itself did not disappoint. I absolutely loved it. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about it with our listeners, because listeners, I've been telling you that I love this book, but just in case you haven't followed my instructions for the last couple of months, um, now we're going to hear more about it. So I will hand it over to you. Thank you. Um, I also am in love with the cover. Um, the artist is Cassie Turpin, who I think we're, we're, we're using her for my next book for the cover. Good. And her okay. art is just amazing. So definitely recommend checking her out and checking her work out. For people who don't know what the book is about, uh, Funny You Should Ask is a dual timeline story about a journalist named Connie Horowitz who interviews her number one celebrity crush, Gabe Parker, who's going to be the first American James Bond. And their article, the interview goes viral because there's sort of insinuations that maybe more has happened. And 10 years later, they meet up again. Their careers are in very, very different places. And the whole book sort of unveils like what happened 10 years ago and what's happening now. Um, And it's about fame and love and puppies and stuff like that. So it's really fun to write. And I am so happy that people are reading it and enjoying it. Yeah. Get yourself a copy of this book, listeners, pop culture, puppies, journalism. These are some of my favorite things. So thank you for writing the book. I can't wait to see what you read next. I will be sure to grab it ASAP. Listeners, I will include a link to Funny You Should Ask in the show notes for this episode, as well as links to the recommendations that Alyssa was kind enough to offer a couple of minutes ago. I'm so glad that I had you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. This was great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk.
Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.